Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hi, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. I am excited uh, that today I get to speak with Vanessa Shortbolt. Uh, Vanessa is a former um, Miss South Dakota. She is uh, has also done stand-up comedy and danced for New York City's Alvin Ailey uh, American Dance Theater. So welcome to the podcast, Vanessa. Hi, I'm happy here. But uh, you did do some research. Um, and unfortunately, I never danced at Alvin Ailey. I actually took a ballet class there one time because I was visiting my friend. And somehow... Some journalists grabbed that and put that in there. And how many times I've said, I have not danced there. I only took a class because I was visiting a friend. So no, um, I just uh, was a ballet dancer. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Let, let's start with, um, with fake news and misinformation because uh, I took a class at Wharton one time and uh, I have everybody calling me and asking me um, what my uh, MBA was in. And I'm like, I didn't. I, just, I took a class. <laughs> So that's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> uh, don't trust the internet, people. That's the point. Um, I, I love how you did that. I thank you um, for for correcting uh, the mistake. But uh, we're going to get back to that. We're going to get back to to misinformation and the way that that can can really uh, confuse and distract people. But um, but I was really excited to uh, to hear about you and and what you've uh, how you've lived your life and the things that you've accomplished. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, what it's like growing up as a uh, a Native American, and uh, and and really how that has uh, helped shape or or not shape your life. So, if you can tell me tell me where you were born and um and and where you grew up. Okay, so um, I was born on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, um, which is located in South Dakota. Um, to understand. Uh, Really, um, I have to actually go back to my history because mm -hmm. that actually plays into how I was um, treated um, on the reservation and off the reservation. So mm. I'm a direct descendant of Chief Red Cloud and Young Man Afraid of His Horses and, of course, the ghost dance leader Shortful. But um, on my mother's side, uh, her Gakala or her um, grandfather was the son of Young Man Afraid of His Horses and a woman that they called Washichuia. And Washichuia just translates out to white woman. And she was actually um, the daughter of woman who wears a bear robe and a French fur trader uh, named Henry Chatillon. Now, Henry Chatillon uh, was made famous by Parkman, who wrote the Oregon Trail. So wow. Henry Chatillon um, had, had a child with this woman. So they named her um, uh, and the a woman who wears a bear robe actually died in childbirth. And mm. the story goes that he was going to take this child back to his home in St. Louis. But mm. once they got to the river, um, the tribe had come up to him and said, um, do not take her because she will not be able to, um, we will take better care of her than uh, how we, we will do better than what the white people will do for her because mm -hmm. she'll always have to walk um, in two worlds, but our world will be the safest for her. Wow. And so she was, uh, uh, um, grew up and uh, uh, was married to a young man afraid of his horses. And so 
he had two children, Edna and Frank. Um, and, uh, but young man afraid of his horses actually had another, uh, another, uh, wife. So he had two wives, but when he passed away in Lakota tradition, uh, you know, in order to show mourning, uh, you wore your hair down or you cut it. Now this washichi, you know, they said had beautiful, thick, light, you know, light colored hair. And that woman made her cut her hair. And oh. so when she cut her hair um, and, and you can't put two things together, but then she eventually died from pneumonia and whether oh. that was the result of her cutting her hair and exposing mm -hmm. her to the elements. So um, they sent Frank to go live with a uh, chief little wound out in Kyle area, which is, mm -hmm. um, about 40 miles, uh, North, mm -hmm. I have no right directions here of Pine Ridge of the actual, uh, agency. So, um, so he went to live out there and, uh, very solitude, um, life out there, but he yeah. met, uh, Lucy Redcloud. Um, so but the, the story just it's too fascinating and it's it really turns out to be kind of a Romeo and Juliet story because Lucy Redcloud being the granddaughter of Chief Redcloud. Mm. Um, but young man afraid of his horses, little wound, um, were all part of this uh, these brothers, and one of them was named Bull Bear. Chief Redcloud's <laughs> No, no, I'm okay. Uh, I'm with you. Keep going. Sister was married to Bull Bear. So um but Bill, Bull Bear uh, physically abused her. So she went back to Chief Red Cloud. And so Chief Red Cloud took her back and he said, if you touch my sister again, I will kill you. Mm. And he did. And so Red Cloud shot and killed Bull Bear. So now wow. you have on that side, very much <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, because then Frank, afraid of his horses, young, uh, mm -hmm. from that family, marries uh, Lucy Red Cloud. And they kind of became not necessarily outcasts, but, you know, the, the Red Cloud family, you know, ha having to go and marry, you know, a relative of this bull bear. So they had, um, they, I mean, they were respected, but they were also um, treated differently, A, because, you know, my Gakala was part white and he married a Red Cloud. It's, so this whole story just gets... Uh, I mean, the you think that people um, that Indians would hold grudges, they do. Uh, <laughs> and so, growing up, uh, we were always kind. Of, I mean, we were always kind of seen as. I mean, I looked dark. My my younger brother was very light complected, and they say yeska. And so, mm -hmm. people were would pick on him, or even for me because I went around with my grandmother. So I did went to um, a lot of ceremonies to powwows. So the kids who wanted to be wanted to be white, the Indian kids who wanted to be white and not do all those Indian things would say things to me and call me like, you know, blanket ass Indian, um, you know, make fun of me for the fact that I always like to wear, um, you know, all my little beadwork and mm -hmm. go to powwows with my grandmother. So it was interesting to, to be on a reservation um, growing up and you looking Indian and wanting to be Indian and to have other kids uh, bully you for that. But it's interesting now to go back to the reservation and all those people who wanted to be act white, never, sh you know, uh, show off being Indian are now <laughs> going back, hmm. you know, going to ceremonies, 
you know, you see their kids, they have their kids' hair in braids. So it's just, it's really interesting to see. And, um, you know, I try not to hold um, any grudges about how they treated me. I'm just happy that they found um, the same pride um, that I had in always being Indian. Why, why do you think you embraced it so readily? Was it your grandmother? Um, because you, you know, you're, you're not just talking about history, you're touching it. You're feeling the responsibility and the connection to these people who lived very, very big lives. Yes. And, and I think that you're right. It's true. It's my grandmother's, um, instilled pride of who we are, where our family came from. Um, and there was no denying I could never be like my brother. When we moved off the reservation, it was very easy for him, even though we had the last name Shortbull, it was very easy for him to kind of assimilate into um, the white culture than it was for me because of the way I looked. And I had no shame in, in being Indian because honestly, every time I look in the mirror, there's no denying it. And I never felt... Um, that I ever had to um, be ashamed of it. It's it's so strange to even be asked that question because I always feel like it never just, you know, all of a sudden I came to this thing I always was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and but but it also sounds like you 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 were really interested in the context <laughs> of of how your family evolved in in the story. And I say that, you know, coming from um, you know my mother's uh, mother, my grandmother was married six times to five guys. And that that story, just even saying that line, you know, there's a lot inside of that. So, so why do you think that having a sense of your of your past is is something that you can draw strength from? Because I, it, you know, it, it's clear, you know, the the pride that we have in in you know how we came to be. Well, and I, I think that also goes back to the teachings of um, you know Chief Red Cloud. We have mm-hmm. to look at ourselves as the middle generation. We look to the past generations uh, to live in the present, but we also have to look for that and uh, see what they did for us in order for us as this middle generation to plan for the future generations. So we always have to have, um, you know, our our intentions with our ancestors, but also for um, future generations. So that's how we're supposed to live. Um, and how we're supposed to walk in this life. That is fascinating. And I say that because you and I um, are Gen X. We're a part of the smallest um, generation that connects baby boomers, who were it's a huge number, and millennials, that's a huge number. And there's a lot of pressure in taking care of older relatives and raising children, but it sounds like your, your background, you know, the, the culture of the Oglala Sioux g- gives you context for that. It does. I, I, I even think to, um, you know, we are just renovating our house and, um, and thinking of uh, like the top floor and of my husband's parents. I mean, I have, there's no doubt in my mind, um, that they're going to live with us because that's what I want. Um, that's what we're supposed to do as Lakota women is to take in those, uh, to take in those people who cared for us at such a vulnerable time. Now it's our turn to take care of them at their vulnerable time. Um, and so my grandmother 
lived with us until she was 98. Um, My grandfather had passed away in 1988. And my mom had told my dad, and this being, um, you know, the mother-in-law said, I don't, you know, she's already, um, you know, so she was already 78 at that time. and, And she's like, well, how much longer, you know, can she live, you know, uh, and 20 years later, yep. yeah. <laughs> 20 years later, there she was. Now, I think that's exactly it is the fabulous life, right? These people are, you know, living with a capital L and, and, and to be truthful that, that I think you are too. I mean, what, what has driven you, um, especially with, um, you know, with something like the the Miss South Dakota and being in the Miss America pageant, um, you know, that's got to take you into a completely different context. What drove you to want to do that? Well, um, I was already going to school um, to the University of Utah for ballet performance. And so my dad um, had said that whatever scholarship money you make um, – to go to school because he was, he was already paying for it. He said, I will give you that half in cash. So being that Mm -hmm. I had never worked a job, the idea of like, Oh wait, I forgot that you actually have to have cash. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they had um, a sign uh, for the Miss Rapid City pageant. And I went and I signed up and the former Miss Rapid City who was giving up her title, um, you know, looked at me and said, what are you doing here? She's like, you know, you're only 18 years old. Um, this is your first time doing a pageant. I had no clue what I was doing. And then she said, and you're Indian. And that to me, being Indian has never mm. stopped me from doing anything. It never stopped me from wanting to go to ballet class. Um, and that really, uh, you know, to look at her and realize, because Rapid City in South Dakota is, is a pretty... Um, I mean, they call it racist city. Yeah. Um, so to be actually to be actually one of the second um, American Indians to win that title, but the idea that in that day and age, nineteen ninety seven, that somebody still had the nerve to say, "You can't do this because you're Indian." And the best thing about that was, um, and I had never worn makeup before either. I mean, aside from stage mm-hmm. makeup, and I just remember getting, um, you know, all that. I mean, it wasn't like anger, but it was definitely like, oh, I'm going to go show these people who, you know, this 18 year old Indian is. Um, and I went to the makeup lady uh, and I said, I need you to make me look beautiful. And she looked at me and she said, well, first of all, darling, you need two eyebrows, not one. And I was more disappointed in the fact that nobody had ever told me that I had one eyebrow. And uh, I can remember going on stage <laughs> And just, you know, uh, living this, you know, being in pageants, I had no idea what duct tape was for. I said, I'm from the reservation. I mean, we use duct tape for everything. You know, we use mm-hmm. it to hold on our bumpers, makeshift seat belts. I didn't realize this was something that you use to give yourself more cleavage. So um, <laughs> it was a completely eye opening <laughs> experience. And um, I remember standing on stage and, you know, you get the, the little fake good luck, good luck as they're starting to um, tell who won interview, who won um, swimsuit, who won talent. And so we're standing there holding hands. And the first one was interview. And they said, you know, contestant number seven, Vanessa Schwartz. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> <laughs> I, I 
one interview, I guess it is true. Indians really do know how to BS. Um, and then it came down to, uh, you know, talent. And they said, Vanessa Shortville. And I went back in line after I grabbed my award and I looked to my right and my left. And now the girls are no longer holding my hands uh, or willing or wanting to hold my hand yeah. down. And then the next um, the next word was swimsuit. And because, I mean, I had a swimsuit, but it was never, I mean, I never saw Indian women in magazines, swimsuit editions, you know, Sports Illustrated, anything like that. So the idea of what it meant to be physically fit or what is to be on stage in a swimsuit as an Indian woman, uh, I had no context for that. So when they called out my name, I was so shocked by that because I had always, um, I guess I never saw myself that way, but I, I went on to win and went on to win uh, or to get second runner up uh, the first time I competed in Miss South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And so I've competed uh, both as Miss South Dakota, Miss America pageant and Miss South Dakota USA at the Miss USA pageant, which at that time was still run by Donald Trump. Mm. Wow. That's um what was that experience like? Because it's very, it, it's very rare that a person while they're um, developing their, their persona, who they are actually has a group of people who are deciding how good they are relative to um, their speaking ability, the way they look, um, the talents that they have. Um, that's got to be both a blessing and a curse. And then you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're you move, you know, you go to Atlantic city for kind of the, the big show, uh, and you find yourself, you know, a part of that entire environment. Um, what was it like? Um, I mean, I feel like I had a, a really good team and I think, uh, ballet, uh, taught a lot of, uh, I guess you would say deportment. So, I mean, it really mm -hmm. wasn't that hard. People were always saying, Oh, you look so great, graceful. Um, the speaking ability, um, having to work, I worked with Tom Daschle's, um, press, I was press secretary, but, um, mm -hmm. one of his communications people to actually work on interview skills. Um, and so it was just this huge team of people working on you, but it was never like you had that they had to reinvent a new person. It was just refining those little things. Yeah. Polishing you. <laughs> Polishing me. Yes. My dad was like, she was a weed that <laughs> blossomed. I was like, cool. I'm a dandelion. Thank you. But my grandmother one day, as I was getting ready to go to Atlantic city and, uh, she said, Takoja, she said, I'm gonna help you with part of your pageant. I said, Oh, well, maybe she's going to give me some stories for interview. Um, so I, I sat there and she said, here, I got these for you. And she had cut out the two shoulder pads in one of her jackets. And she said, you can use these for padding in your swimsuit. And I, I was for the for the chest part, and I never thought that this sweet uh, Lakota grandmother would come out and probably give me the worst mm -hmm. burn ever. <laughs> I was so eager. I was no, like, what she is was, she going to tell on, me? She was problem solving. She was problem solving. <laughs> she she was. didn't have chicken cutlets. She if she had had chicken cutlets, no, she, she would have given you chicken cutlets. That is so true. <laughs> that is so true. But going to Miss America was. Um, the, she was hilarious. She actually didn't make it through security the first time when I, we were going through the airport because 
being that she's a Lakota grandmother, instead of just having like a regular knife in her purse, she had like a, like a Bowie knife. And I was like, what are you carrying this for? Why is this in your purse? <laughs> so she, so before she, uh, before I got in the plane and I have this picture, um, where I'm down saying something to her. And she said, uh, to me, she said, um, she said, I've never seen the Atlantic ocean. And she says, I get to do it because of my granddaughter. And I just, to me, that just gets me because wow. here's this woman who is, who is a uh, second generation of actually being forced onto a reservation, um, you know, um, and who stayed there most of life. I mean, she never flew. My parents drew, drove out to Atlantic city with her, um, because she refused to fly. I mean, this was after September 11th and her whole thing was that, um, she was too good. She saw herself as, you know, the terrorist wouldn't want her and, um, there's, there's not a price for her. So she, she could not be on an airplane. Um, and, uh, yeah, going there. Um, and she said it jokingly, but (laughs) there you're right there. They could ask for, millions and millions of dollars for her. But um, yeah, she's, she, she would definitely be worth it. She's too cute, but she's priceless. Um, she's, is, she was priceless. Uh, but getting to the actual pageant, um, I had a fabulous time with Miss Texas. Um, and we jokingly said that we were Tonto and the Lone Ranger, but she was my sidekick. <laughs> and um the thing that I found most frustrating was um, that year it was a very diverse year. They had uh, uh, Miss Delaware was Indian American. Uh, we, there is an Alaskan native um, and of course, Miss Hawaii. And so they ha- kind of had this little thing of trying to showcase us um, like, Ooh, look how diverse Miss America is. And mm. It gets really, it gets, it got really bothersome to me because I was so tired of talking about, um, you know, finally it's diverse and it comes back to, yes, I want you to judge me on the content of my character, not the color of my skin. And it kind of, you know, flipped it. Um, and I was, uh, I just got tired and then to be asked in the interview portion and, um, the lady was from the NAACP, I forget her title exactly. And she asked me, do I think African-Americans should receive reparations for slavery? And for whatever reason that really, uh, it hit a nerve. It hit a nerve in the sense that here you, mm-hmm. you have an American Indian from South Dakota um, being one of the first to compete um, in a very long time. And that's the question you want to ask her. That's the one, that's what you want to know. And all I could do is just go back to my, my res, uh, mentality. And, and I said, not until we get ours first. And, uh, and I remember mm-hmm. there was a guy from, um, who was like worked on Clinton's campaign or worked for something for Bill Clinton. And he just kind of laughed. And after that interview and I had seen him, he said, that was really refreshing <laughs> because, you know, everybody else had answered yeah. it in a, a very political correct way. And he said, well, wait, why would you even want to ask that question? But even more importantly, why haven't we asked an American Indian or why haven't we ever talked about reparations for American Indians? Absolutely. Um, and not that I would ever take reparations. Um, but it was just, it was one of those questions that it, at that point, 
um, that interview, I think, kind of just went south from there. <laughs> well, I, I can I can imagine. I mean, you know, the the thing with reparations is, is that you know just just having somebody acknowledge the the pain and the disruption of destroying communities. I mean, it, it's it's not the so much the financial. It's it's you know the acknowledgement of the cruelty. And and I, I I find that you know whether it's the you know sixteen nineteen project or or you know the the stories that I've read about the Lakota Sioux, um, there's there's a protective nature to the culture because it should be people trying to destroy it. I mean no, I don't think exactly. you ever walk away from something like that, right? Yeah, and and what, oh, what's fascinating to me is there's there's studies now that are that are saying that um, the trauma of your um, of your parents or your grandparents can genetically be passed along to you. You you can feel the pain of 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 that. It can affect people, and you know with that comes a certain responsibility, right? To to kind of educate and reflect. And I want to I want to point something out to you. Um, you use Native American and Indian interchangeably. I never feel comfortable saying Indian. <laughs> it it feels to me like it's 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 one of those taboo kind of like well, I don't know what to say. Do I say First People? Do I say Native American? Um, I don't know. So tell tell me how <laughs> how you navigate that. Oh, okay, so my problem I I rarely use Native American um, at all. I always use American Indian. Because that's how the federal government mm-hmm. um, refers to us. So it's politicized. And I take ownership of that. Um, I don't care about Native American. I don't use it that much. I don't say, you know, I, I, I try to say American Indian as much as possible. Um, mainly because mm. um, when you look at anything that comes from the federal government, it's aid to Alaska Natives or American Indian. Um, and I don't want to be forgotten. So I have to use that word. Um, and hopefully that other people will look um, and hear it and, and know why I, I need to use that. Um, people always ask me, what do you prefer? And that they like to say indigenous, um, American Aborigine, uh, it just off the wall things. I said, if you really want to call me something, just God damn it, call me Vanessa. <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah, I mean that's that's the part. One of the issues that I, that I find over and over again is that um, people want to categorize, and they don't want to see the person. They almost want to just want to sort you, and then once they're sorted in their brain, they don't really care so much. Exactly, and for me, I can't deny the fact that I have um, French blood, um, both on my mom and my dad's side. Uh, actually scotch irish um mm-hmm. but so i can never just say i'm not a hundred percent i said i'm everything of what this country is i am those fur trappers uh or fur traders who came um to explore mm-hmm. during manifest destiny and of course their manifest destiny came true they got to marry lakota women which is what you know that's every white guy's dream so my husband says <laughs> <laughs> oh that you know that 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 cracks me up <laughs> but that that idea of um of having a um a complex heritage 
in it's an American thing. I find that, you know, when I talk to people from different parts of the world, they they don't think about what their ancestry was so much. But I think because of the nature of of America being a you know a place that has constant disruption of immigration, et cetera, we spend a lot of time talking about that. Um so how do you do that? How do you move beyond that initial discussion with people and really um, kind of start to define, you know, what's unique about you? Because if I look at your resume as a comedian, as a dancer, um, as a healthcare professional, um, you, it looks like to me, you've decided at different points in your life to kind of redefine who you are. Oh, I have. I, I um, at my age, uh, when I was doing stand-up comedy, and by the way, stand-up comedy is the most difficult thing that there is to do. It's easier to make someone cry than it is to make them laugh. And I've sat, I've been on a stage. Mm -hmm. I've heard ice melting in drinks. I mean, I've bombed uh, pretty hard. (laughs) And and I think if you can actually get back up on stage and do it again, um, you know, kudos to you, but it takes, it took a really long time just to even get a really good, solid 10 minute set. Um, and then try to, uh, you know, add in new material, take it out. It was very refining. It's very, uh, nerve wracking, but as I got older and as I started working, um, in public health, I worked for a cancer navigation program and, uh, at, at a, the Northwest, um, at a health board, I had to change uh, my how I delivered um, because it was very important for me to get the message out. And I didn't want people to say, oh, Vanessa, she's she's so funny. But the stuff that we were talking about at that time, it's not funny. I, I can't make a joke out of it. And I don't want you to think I'm making a joke. Mm-mm. So that's, you know, how that kind of came. I, I um, you know, went from comedy to motivational speaker to wanting to be um a good voice, a good public health advocate for um, Indian people, and so that's kind of how. <laughs> that that's fascinating. That that is fascinating that you've run the gamut of. Um, and I'm going to feed it back to you, and maybe I'm sure you probably thought about it, but you start out in a um, in a field that forces you to acknowledge your difference because you're in competition. Right. And that's kind of, you know, that, that's how people define you in those competitions. She's different than this woman and we're going to vote. And when you move into comedy, um, you have to have a unique voice and maybe natural storytelling ability, maybe how you grew up, the way your grandmother, you know, related to you, it, something like that informed you. And then you realize that getting laughs isn't enough, that you need to do something of substance. And yet throughout it all, the ability to define who you are, to tell the story of that and bridge it to do something else seems kind of inherent in who you are. You're, you, know, you, you use your body in dance as an instrument, but it seems to me that you're, you're using so much of what your experience is to, to, to move forward in the world. Is that something you learn from your family? Oh, most, most definitely. Because um, when I look at my... Uh, my grandparents. I mean, my grandmother worked um, uh, at the dormitory um, at one of the the schools, um, boarding schools. And my grandfather was a bus driver. Um, and all he, what they told us was that we had to be better than what our parents were. So my dad um, went to school. Uh, mm-hmm. He 
did not grow up on the reservation. Um, he went to the University of South Dakota and they had a huge cohort of American Indians. This was in the late sixties of trying to uh, pursue their post-secondary um, degree. Most of those students never finished. They went back home. Only four of them graduated out of this cohort. And mm-hmm. only one of them did that with a master's degree. And that was my dad. Um, and that's where he met my mom. And wow. um, to, <laughs> to, to have that narrative as um, an, an Indian person um, to say, where did your parents meet? And I can say, well, they met at the university. And that seems like a very white, you know, people will say, my parents met at college. Um, but for a lot of Indians, they didn't. Um, you know, that's not how they, <laughs> that's not, that's not a, a typical story. I'm glad that that's changing. Um, but to have them and to see my mother mm-hmm. graduate as one of the third American Indian women to get a nursing degree at the University of South Dakota, um, very proud of them because they wow. were, they were, uh, you know, trailblazers, even though she wouldn't even think that. Um, but my dad um, became the first American Indian state legislator. Um, and so I look at them as they never, I, the funny thing is, I don't think they ever saw themselves as I'm going to do this because I need to be the first. I think they just did it because I don't even say it was there. It was just, that was that, that's what moved them. I don't know what that is. Um, and when we were talking about, um, you know, when they when pe- people say historical grief, I say historical beef. I have historical beef <laughs> and, that dri- and that drives me for my family, um, my tribal members who can't and couldn't do the things that I can do right now, whether because they died of alcoholism or, um, just the troubles of the reservation. So I have to use and it, the reservation um, that did not let them go out there and do this. So um, I'm not going to use that as sour. I'm going to use it as um, fuel to uh, just keep moving. And um, even here in um, Philadelphia, um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm still going out and doing my ballet classes. Um, it's just... I don't know what it is. I, I guess it's just, I guess I just have my ancestors pushing me <laughs> and maybe I don't know what I'm, uh, I really don't have a vision of what I'm doing. I just know that I'm moving forward. Well, but I, I think that that's to me, what I find fascinating is the, your beef, um, you know, because you're, you're picking up other people's, um, you know, kind of, uh, cause to defend and you're working at the the vet hospital where, you know, it it's so hard for people who have literally put their lives on the line for the country to then come back and have to slog through bureaucracies and and you know fight for the care that that they deserve to get. Um, so again, you're you're finding beef and finding ways to make a difference and move things forward. Um, what's that like, uh, especially knowing that there you know there's a significant portion of Native American or um, Af- or uh, American Indian population. Uh, that are uh, that join the military. Oh, um, of course. Do you see those as kind of inextricably tied? The way that we take care of people and 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 the way we honor what their sacrifice is. Yeah, I do. Um, so, to begin with, my my grandfather was actually ta- great grandfather was taken from the boarding school and uh, sent to fight 
um, Pershing's uh, War, um, which was Zapata um, and Pancho Villa, who were making raids across the border. That's he was 16 years old. They sent him down. And from there, then he went over to France and fought during uh, World War I. Um, and so Lakota people, being that we are culture is we're a warrior um, society. Mm-hmm. So when they came back, uh, we continue to still have the traditions of honoring our warriors. So um, my grandfather got um, the Indian name of Iyashicha Kinechaki, which translate to boy who kills the Germans. Um, <laughs> and, but that name was, yes, well, that name was then passed on to my, um, my grandpa Clarence, who, who he and his, uh, three brothers fought in World War II. My grandfather was in the 82nd Airborne and was part of the, the glider, um, troop operation. Um, so, um, so we're very proud uh, of our, um, background of serving in this country. Um, my Indian name is Miniwancho Wichakwimia, which is Ocean Star Woman. And that was given to my grandmother during World War II when she served in the Navy. Um, I too served in the Army Reserves. Um, that's actually how I met my husband. We met at Officer Basic Course at Fort Sam Houston. Um, mm-hmm. And so he has, um, he left active duty. He's an entomologist um, and now works for the Defense Logistics Agency as their entomologist, but he's still um, as um, still in as the Army uh, major in the Army Reserves here. Um, his unit is out in Fort Dix. Um, so, um, and he gets his care at the VA. Um, so there, um, I find it gratifying that I can continue to um, practice being a Lakota woman, not practice in that the sense of um, like you always are, but the idea of that you're taking care of your warrior uh, family. And though I'm not uh, a clinician, what I can provide is respect and try and try my best to help navigate them through the terrible. It is a, the VA can be a terrible system. But we need to, um, you know, have a little, that's the one thing I think at this point, um, I think when people say, oh, I got a government job and they have no um, ties to what it is to serve in the military or Mm -hmm. um, family members who are. So you see kind of this flippant attitude towards these veterans. Oh, he's just a Mm. homeless guy. You know, he's or. um, these people don't understand the sacrifice. And I feel, um, I feel for our Vietnam vets, um, because they did not get the, the recognition that they so, um, so deserved and how we as a country shun them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I just, uh, it's painful to me uh, as somebody who, you know, all of our, when my brother came back from Iraq, you know, the big whoopie law ceremony that we had for them and uh, the idea that when they came home, you know, we didn't honor them that way. But um, yeah, it, it, it pains me, uh, especially uh, American Indian soldiers who are battling alcoholism. Right? Cause mm-hmm. I think on top of having to see, um, you know, the horrors of war, but also to have to come back to, 
um, you know, a place where you may not have a job, um, you know, or a place where maybe they don't respect your time and service. And I think of, um, oh my goodness, uh, the Johnny Cash song, the battle of our ballad of Ira Hayes, mm-hmm. and they call him drunken Ira Hayes, you know, and it, the talk about his, um, here was this, uh, soldier who uh, went and raised the flag on Iwo Jima, but only to come back to the reservation and die of alcoholism. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think there are a lot of American Indians um, who served and who are fighting addiction. And I don't think um, the VA does enough or understands the culture of the reservation to provide a specific mm-hmm. care to American Indians. And so that's something that I would love for them to develop a program specific and also for, um, you know, Indian Health Service, BIA, those agencies allow um, Indian preference. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to see VAs that have serve a majority, um, you know, at least 20 to 30%, if you have 20 to 30% of your VA veterans who are using uh, your services, I would like to have uh, the VA have an Indian preference for hiring because it, sure. they're also on the other side, there needs to be someone, uh, someone who looks like you. <laughs> um, and, and because being in the hospital is, is a scary place and, um, and it, well, and it's difficult. Yeah, and 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 so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but but I want to. There's a couple of things that I, I want to feed back because I think it's relevant to everyone. Um, w- what I see you doing is finding a way to get inside the system so that you can represent the needs of people who aren't being heard, and that is a a noble kind of pursuit. And when you you know, there's nothing worse than unrecognized sacrifice. You know, that's that's really a crime to ask something extraordinary of people and not acknowledge it. And so I, I, I have to say, it's an interesting thing that you're doing here to kind of go into this complex environment and want to represent and then beyond that to pull more people forward. And I, you know, and I say that because, you know, neither of my parents graduated high school. And yet they be, they were autodidacts. They they read literature, and you know they became educated and lived a great middle class life, um, and they had the same work ethic. So I'm I want to I want to ask you a, a little bit more about that. Um, what about your kids? What do you see down the road for the next generation? Because usually at the end of the of the podcast, we do two things. We do so what and now what. So so what? So what that we're dealing with all of these race issues and issues of ethnicity and issues of discrimination. Um, why is it so important and why do you think it's happening now? And, you know, what's the lesson for the next generation? I mean, I, I feel like I, I've felt this for um, the past probably about the past five years that we were getting to this tipping point and it became, um, you know, it started with being very PC or um, overly sensitive, like the idea of saying, can I say native American? Can I say American Indian? 
And I think people just got frustrated, even though that the frustration on that part was like, what? And I feel the same way too, um, because I'm like, well, can I say white? Is somebody going to get upset by me saying that? I And I feel like all of a sudden we kind of shut down. We can't say anything. So now we have no discussions. Uh, instead of having these calm discussions about race, um, we've now gone to the point now we, the discussions are now screams and shouts and riots. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, coming from South Dakota and seeing some of the stuff that I've seen on Facebook or the things that are happening. Um, it's, it's a little scary for me. Uh, I hope that, um, you know, with the election coming that we don't have somebody as, um, divisive and, um, scary as 45 as Donald Trump, uh, because I really think and I, um, being from South Dakota, you know, um, it what racism was is always there. Um, now it seems that it's okay to actually show it. Where, you know, a couple years ago, it was just kind of like, you know, it, it was said with the, you know, there was always a wink and a smile somewhere if somebody's, you know, mm-hmm. looking at you. I mean, they didn't put my picture up in one of the Pizza Huts because I was Indian. I mean, that's how it was there. But, you know, you didn't really make a big, I wasn't going to go and protest that pizza hut. You know, I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) That's, uh, oh, no, it was a bowling alley. And I'm like, I don't care. You know, like, it means nothing to me. But Mm -hmm. now um, I'm scared for my niece and nephew um, and my brothers, uh, both uh, his wife is white, um, but she teaches um, in a predominantly Indian American Indian district or um, school that has um, the population there is more Indian yeah. students. So mm-hmm. it's funny because she says when people see, oh, I'm getting Miss, Mrs. Shortpole for a teacher. And it's the American Indian parents who are shocked when they see this blonde <laughs> standing mm-hmm. there. You know, yeah. uh, you know, they're excited to think that they're being caught, but it isn't. But my niece and nephew are, you know, my nephew is as blonde as they come. Mm-hmm. And but what I don't want them to do is I don't want them to forget that they're Indian. I mean, they have that, they have the last name of short bowls. So, you know, I don't want them, I don't want them to have to go through what I went through as far as, you know, the racist remarks. And, mm-hmm. um, because I, I, I think that my brother, um, and his wife have raised their kids to be proud of who they are. I just don't want them to ever have to deny that or be ashamed. Um, and right now in South Dakota, it's, um, you know, it's very, um, Indians and cowboys there. Mm. And it's, it's scary for me to think that, um, that at some point, like what side do you go on? Um, and they shouldn't have to make those decisions (laughs) at that young age because it really is that. And, um, it's, it's sad. It it, it is. And I think that, you know, the idea of the other, you know, to carve out a space and say those people are different gives people a license to hate. And a lack of empathy is, you know, kind of is the is the gasoline on the fire. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be remiss. My, my family would would uh, really be disappointed in me if I didn't say that my grandmother grew up on a ranch in Montana. Um, 
And when she was very young, she had no friends except for two, um, I'll say, American Indian girls who came through um, twice a year and they would uh, make dolls together. And my her, her father wound up wiring um, the uh, Alaska. And so she was continually moved around from that original ranch to, you know, places on rivers in Alaska. And again, came in contact with all kinds of different tribes. And she, she found that they were very accepting (laughs) where the white, the white people were, were awful. And the, the Indian tribes actually were interested and curious and, and embracing. And it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Um, but, but I, I, so I say that because I had to, I had to do that for my family. Um, and it would be very interesting <laughs> if somehow our, our, our families crossed, you know, uh, you know, 120 oh, years ago. Yeah. Um, but, but beyond that, what I find is exactly what you said is it, hate is now come out into the open. And I don't know if it's good or bad. We could see it easier, but I didn't think 30 years ago that it would be worse. So I'm going to ask you the harder question instead of, so what now, what, what do we have to do? I'm creating a podcast because, you know, I want to talk about awkward subjects. I want to put difficult things on the table, but that's a small thing. What, what can we do to make sure that this is an aberration this is, you know, uh, X number of years where, you know, the history regressed a little bit and then it leapt forward. Well, now, now we have to start um, learning about our communities um, and understanding that um, as a country, we, we have to take care of each other. Um, and like you said about tribes being inviting, and that's what we did. That's what my tribe was. Um, Chief Red Cloud, his honoring song was, you know, you have to pity us um, because we also have to be Indian and walk in a white man's world. And that's difficult. Um, but I think if you could explore communities, um, understand that we have a lot more in common than we think. I'm sure if you took, um, you know, the Confederate flag waving uh man from Virginia and took him to a reservation. And I bet you'd find that they could probably find um, something in common as the fact that there's no jobs. They don't have lack, you know, access to healthcare um, and that they could, you know, start seeing similarities in their own um, within looking at that other person. Um, I just find um, it's it's such a difficult. It really actually isn't difficult. Well, <laughs> because that's the Lakota issue. people, we say yasni, which means we are all related. That doesn't mean that we're related by blood, um, but we can also be related by experience. And the only way that we can actually do that is to go and learn. I think the one thing um, that I find talking to uh, some of the older vets where um, nobody talks to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody just has a pass, you know, a passing conversation. Um, I mean, I, I sat with this gentleman and he was a photographer here in Philadelphia and he actually uh, was 
photographed um, uh, the drug addiction back in like the 60s and 70s, like these famous photos. But always, all of a sudden we start talking about uh, classical movies and Sid Charisse, who was the better dancer? <laughs> uh, you know, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. It was, it was fascinating for um, they, he was actually discharged. <laughs> and I, I honestly wanted to just go and take half a day off and just go and sit with this guy because he was so fascinating. But then everybody is fascinating, in my opinion, if you could just sit down and have a conversation with them. But for whatever reason, we just don't have, I don't even know if it, I mean, right now we have the time. We do. Uh, um, but how do you connect and, um, how do you connect with people these days? And I, I've always been somebody who talks a lot, so I could probably, you know, find out a, you know, I could probably talk to a squirrel and find out an entire story or make one up in my <laughs> mind about this. But just the fact that, um, the fact that I find people so fascinating and, and, like our mutual friend, Joel, I could sit and talk to him for hours and listen to his stories. And the, the thing is to, to ask questions. Um, and I think what you're doing is very important. Um, and, and maybe this will give a guide of how to start having those conversa conversations and, and what are the, the questions to ask. Um, and also to create an environment where you don't feel scared or ashamed that you have to ask this question, <laughs> you know, or you feel like there's going to be like retaliate. Why would you know that? Because I didn't know. I mean, I, that's what I want to ask the questions because I had tons of questions that I, I don't know what would be appropriate to ask somebody who is trans. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't have those, but I want to know. Um, so I'm, maybe this is, Maybe after it all cools down, we, we're in a, a place of questioning um, and not preaching. You're you're the first person that that asked this, and so I, I'll 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 answer the implied question. Um, I would hope that by the tenth or the fifteenth interview that I've done here, that a spider map of these experiences and relationships you would start to see patterns. And, you know, I, I see not just people's backgrounds, but their experiences, their points of view, there's so much more in common. And I said this before, if you're, you know, I was in, in China and I saw a little kid with a truck and he played with that truck the same way a kid in Missouri would play with it. And when I look at you know, American Indian culture. And as I said before, with your, your family having a, a deep history in, in the ghost dance, you know, that promises, you know, a future of reuniting with dead loved ones and, and resurrecting a way of life and a unity that cuts across tribe. It's, it's not just to the Lakota. And I think we all have those stories. I think we all intrinsically have a story of a paradise of a world where, we appreciate diversity. You know, we don't I hate when people say, I don't see color. Of course you see color. Um, and there's an advantage to see people's differences. So that's kind of the last and final question I want to, I want to throw back to you. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and get rid of something or create something, what would you do? What's the, what's the thing that you really wish you know, the simple, you know, to solve a problem that is complicated. 
Um, I, I feel uh, bad. I was reading uh, somebody on Facebook who had come to um, the reservation many years ago and had bought some beadwork and went out um, and they live in California and they went out and they were accosted for cultural appropriation. And she was so upset and she said, I don't know what to do now. She said, this is my favorite thing. Um, you know, I met the woman who did the beadwork um, and, you know, I bought it from her. And she was so upset that now she has to put this beautiful um, artwork away because, you know, it's, it was seen as a- appropriating someone's culture. And she said, um, in my mind, what I, <laughs> I would like more cultural appreciation. I love it when um, any person, any background comes to a powwow and they feel and they hear the music and they want to get out there and they want to do it. They want to dance or they want to come and they want to learn our language. I mean, there are people within our own tribe who don't want to learn our language, but they want to know us. And then for people to call, call them out, um, that bothers me. <laughs> and I wish I, I wish we don't have to go in such a, you know, 180 from, uh, you know, somebody wanting to appreciate the culture to, to damning them uh, for appropriation, for appropriating. I mean, there's certain things that have been appropriated. Um, we can't. I mean, the headdress is at Coachella. Yes, that can go. <laughs> but to poor um, Vanessa Hudgens, um, what's she going to do? Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> All she can do is try to make better movies, Vanessa. Just do exactly. That. Can't ride on that, you know, that high school musical thing forever. And Gene Kelly's a better dancer. I just think he's more athletic. But anyway, um, okay. So here's I got I got to wrap I got to wrap up because uh, we could go on forever. Um, yes. Vanessa, this is you are fascinating, um, and I and I mean that not just what you're talking about. You yourself are fascinating. I would love to sit down with with you in another instance without a microphone. What the microphone doesn't matter. I want to say two things. One is Pila Maya. Very good. And the next one is Wopila. Yes. And I say it back to you, Wopila Tonka. Um, that, that means the world to me, to say thank you and to give thanks for the existence and blessings in everyone. And I think what you've done here is you've opened up a window for people to see into a culture they may not be familiar with. And that means the world to me. And I just want to thank you for talking with someone that you never met before <laughs> based on a recommendation of a great guy. Um, because this this is probably the best thing that's going to happen to me this week. So I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I just want to end again with saying, we are all related. I, I can't do better than that. So so thank you, Vanessa, for um, for being on the podcast. Um, for everyone else, um, if, you're, if there's questions that you want to ask, if there's other things you want to know from Vanessa or from me, please let us know. If you like this podcast, please share it. Tell other people about it. Um, and as always, tell us what we can do better. Tell us other people, you other voices you want to hear from, because that's the purpose. So that's all the time we have now. Um, thanks for... Uh, from everybody here at the Allies podcast, and we'll talk to you later.